0: On the Dallas Opera Network, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh,
1: let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening, it's America's Talk Radio Show about Opera. It's Opera Box Score. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined by Oliver Camacho, Matt Cummings, Weston Williams, and Ashley Hardgrave. All right, this week. We get ready for Independence Day by lighting up some vocal fireworks in our great American coloratura competition, plus two-minute drill. Things not so pretty in France or New Zealand. Hey, if you're watching on the Dallas Opera Network, welcome. Check out the full episode by subscribing to the podcast on Stitcher or just favorite this show on Apple Podcasts. Oliver Camacho, good to see you.
2: Oh, thank you. It's good to be seen. Thank you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I and think it's nice to see
2: you too, Oliver.
1: Short and sweet there, Matt Cummings. Also short and sweet.
2: His lo- hair is really long. He is like a
3: it, it's all yeah. I'm trying to I'm trying long to tuck it back as much as possible. Keep it out of my eyes. <laughs> back in Chicago after wedding season. Woo. Oh
2: yeah, we Matt's- missed you. We missed you last week. Did
3: we miss you last week? No, I was here. I was oh, just like, okay. No, Pittsburgh. we
2: didn't miss you last week. <laughs> You don't want well, the no so to so You know, all I do is create content. People, I, this is like the
3: fourth show that I've done in two days. So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Matt's annoyed about the new gymnastics rules.
3: I am annoyed about the new gymnastics rules. The new, uh, the president of the governing body has decided that in order to prevent too many specialists from being a part of these Olympic teams, they're going to shrink the team competition from five gymnasts down to four. Uh, which they say is going to also somehow level the playing field between the larger and smaller countries. Because that totally gets rid of, like, the huge resource gap between USA, Russia, Romania, China, and <laughs> everyone else.
4: Just really smooths that right over.
3: <laughs> Plus, they're they're going back to five people for Paris in 2024. They've already decided. So, like, what is the point of all of this?
1: Weston Williams, does the Olympic, International Olympic Committee drive you... Round the bend like it does Matt?
4: I mean, it, it does because uh, they still have not accepted my uh, application to make a competitive Pokemon card playing a sport, uh, and I think I would do extremely well in that category, and I, I just don't have an opportunity to get that gold medal yet, so... They're, worried about, the repetitive, for...
3: they're worried about the repetitive stress injuries from all that shuffling. Yeah, it, it's really tough on the old wrist. The carpal tunnel, those insurance rates are just going to go through the roof.
1: <laughs> Ashley Hardgrave with us as well. Are you also annoyed about gymnastics, Ashley?
5: I'm a little annoyed about gymnastics. I am just currently all things Olympics right now. All I want to do is just watch updates on Olympic trials for not just for America but other places as well. But I'm definitely Team USA. Very excited. Spent a lot of this weekend watching the track and field finals. Although my goodness, shout out to the organizers because they uh, they were held in Eugene, Oregon, and Eugene had record breaking temperatures. Not not just the athletes were breaking records. Even like the temperatures there, they hit 110. So they had Push back the finals by five hours yesterday, so that they missed the uh, the midday sun. So I mean, hope, that was- hopefully by
3: the time this comes out, that is in past tense, because people out there, are, it's not good.
5: They are bacon.
3: Stay the cool other- out there
1: thing that will be in past tense by the time the show comes out is that England would have played Germany in the round of 16 in the Euro 2020 competition. Let's just get this out here right now. I'm a huge England fan. If you're watching on TDO, you can see the the flag of St. George behind me. It it looks like a a Ku Klux Klan flag, but I'm telling you, the flag of St. George, that's not a racist flag. (laughs)
3: <laughs> I mean, here, n- n- sure, n- not any more than the normal amount of colonialism. <laughs> true, true. Yes,
1: exactly. Here, the nightmare is England having to play Germany. We're taping our show on a Monday night like always. The match is tomorrow, 11 a.m. Central. I will have my cup of tea. I will be ready. Let's talk some opera.
0: Chalk Talk on Opera Box score.
1: In America, the 4th of July means fireworks here on the OBS. It also means vocal fireworks. Our OBS team has picked four blazing coloratura arias that would be worthy of a U.S. gymnastics team's performance. Each of our team will make their pick, make their case, with me judging their selection on four criteria. Oliver, do you want to set up the criteria for
2: yeah, our listeners? Yeah, we're going to do it in uh, on a point system um Totaling 100 points, and George will be keeping score and judging, so you know how fair that's going to be. Uh, the first category is verisimilitude, meaning to say the uh, feeling of like realness you get from the combination of the music and the words and how the aria serves the drama of the opera of the libretto and how the aria serves the character and the plot uh then we'll judge and that's going to be 20 points uh then we'll judge on difficulty level so for a you know for a soprano uh difficulty comes in the form of passage work in the form of high notes in the form of uh the range of the piece how high how low it goes and then also some things that are harder to explain like uh, difficult phrases phrase lengths that are awkward uh timing issues that uh you know like where the score maybe changes meter frequently all those things contribute to the difficulty of an aria. Uh, then we will judge an execution. How well did the performer do executing the music, singing the right notes? <laughs> and <laughs> then interpretation, of course, uh, speaking to the artistic interpretation of the performance, not just the technical performance.
1: Fantastic. I know this is going to be close. Let's get down to it. We're going in the order of year of composition. And so that means, Matt Cummings, you go first.
3: So coming up first is no word from Tom, which is from Stravinsky's Uh, The Rake's Progress, an opera as American as Apple Charlotka, (laughs) which is to say equally as valid as any other apple dessert that's been naturalized into an American citizen. Um, Absolutely. So (laughs) this opera, it's it's a neoclassical work. So Stravinsky, like, took the forms that were popular in... Mozart bel canto operas recitative and aria format and kind of did like a redux on them to move away from that kind of Wagnerian three through composed format uh, and so this aria is structured like a bel canto scene with a uh, cantabile and a ca- and cabaletta fast section uh, but the but because it's a modern piece. The way that it flows is a lot less, like, tea. I love Bel Canto opera, but, you know, you could say that it is tedious. And this well, is well, it not... it feels very formulaic, much, maybe, is a yes, better way to say it, yeah. They're not... <laughs> this is much more compact, and the action moves forward really directly from her singing this kind of prayer to the moon to bring comfort to um her lover, fiancé Tom, that's fled off to London in this Faustian story, uh, and then... She decides that she's going to go to London, strengthens her resolve, and the cabaletta is her saying, I go to him, the love will conquer all. Uh, And so the difficulty in this aria is that it has both these really long, arching lyrical phrases that are kind of mixed in with these little flashes, bursts of bravura. Um, So in that way, it, it also kind of harkens back to Mozart. It kind of feels like a dove sono, except the first half and the second half of the aria are like all jumbled together. And they can pop out into fast notes, descending scales, high notes, really at any time, rather than like saving all the fireworks for the end. Um, but also because it's Stravinsky, like there is a fun little twist, and the the counting in this score is so difficult. It is kind of famous. <laughs> the entire opera, every aria from this opera, is famous as like if you bring this to an audition, your pianist will hate you. And they will probably mess it up. So you better be ready to sing it like with them playing all of the wrong notes because who can even (laughs) tell the difference? That kind of syncopation. The the note values change on repetition, but not in in a predictable way at all. Uh, And just that balance of flash and those long, long lines. And so. So for your execution,
1: let's hear about who it's going to be.
3: Yeah. So we're talking about execution and the the best, I'm I'm confident in saying the best performance of this aria is Don Upshaw in a live performance of the of this opera from Aix en Provence. Mm. Uh the whole aria is on YouTube. Go watch it. She there's a ballerina dancing the role, like mirroring her.
1: Uh, what clown put a ballerina on stage with Don UpShot? I want to find that person and punch and, them. In the and and gave the
2: ballerina the same haircut so they look like twins, <laughs> like like Seven Deadly Sins or something.
1: Yeah, very very
3: Kurt Viley. Don UpShot is a singer who has some mannerisms that she puts into almost anything she records. She loves mm. to make sure that people can understand her English and she it, like so sometimes she can go a little too far in that, but in this performance she does not. Uh, She also will really add a lot of kind of scooping to kind of goose notes for emphasis. And that I think is where for the execution, you might be able to take a couple points here and there. Uh, Particularly, there's one octave leap at the end of the slow part of the aria that takes a second before it's a full octave (laughs) but really other than that one moment her tuning is impeccable and this aura you kind of just have to pluck the right pitches out of thin air the leaps are crazy there's nothing in the orchestra part to help you because they're often playing like us a note that's one note away from your note at the same time as you and that's where the crunch (laughs) happens and if you sing the same note as what you are hearing you are not Correct. <laughs>
4: Classic Stravinsky. Uh,
3: and then at the end of the cabaletta, these phrases get really fast and furious. And she does a, a fantastic job of just kind of riding the wave all the way through the end as it gets more and more frenetic. And then this aria is capped off with a C that is leapt to from an o- more than an octave below and then held forever. And if you, if you can't nail that, then this is not the aria for you. And she absolutely <laughs> nails it. <laughs> But where I think Dawn Upshaw is really going to pull away from the pack here, if you don't mind me being so bold going first saying that, is her interpretation. Because we've talked about the musical difficulty of the score, and that's all true. But really, the hardest part is making this sound like words and making it sound like music instead of a a robot trying to make sure that you're counting to four in every measure and not dropping any beats. And the syntax of the libretto is very convoluted, it's very twisted, it's very complicated, and it can be difficult to make the meaning of what the words are come across. And she does that better than anyone I've ever heard. Uh, And she just kind of floats, there's this gossamer quality to to her performance, where she has all the nuts and bolts correct, all of the details are there, but she just kind of floats above it, and this... Beautiful, limpid like cobweb of vocalism that brings the music to life and it like jumps right off the page and into the audience and it's so thrilling
4: well let's limpid hear a little bit cobweb of vocalism is an extremely <laughs> good phrase i wish they'd print on the back of the of the cd
2: let's hear a little bit of this right now if you're uh, if you're listening to the podcast you're obviously listening to the podcast because you're hearing me say this right now here is don upshaw from exxon provence <laughs> We often say in the singer world, uh, when there's difficult music, sing it like it's Mozart, which is a very confounding thing to say to a young singer because that's really all they know how to sing. So they're not really adding any <laughs> level of style to anything else that they sing. But here is a real case of a composer, you know, um, referring to Mozart and putting in technical challenges that are, are quite Mozartian, and a singer who is a famous Mozartian in her own right really singing this with like even leg-
3: better than she sings mozart frankly. with the legato <laughs> yeah. and the
2: intonation and the understanding of the phrases as if it were as logical as mozart it's i I'm, I'm blown when i see this sometimes i just have to stop and cry because it's so good it's like an artist has never been more perfectly matched to an aria or a role than this
1: it is a great aria it's a great choice matt to kind of lead this pack uh this opera is just so darn difficult to stage to act to sing it's totally text-driven uh Auden, right i think wrote the uh and chester common yeah exactly it, but and it's, it's it's
3: got odd all over it
1: <laughs> and man to get these words is so hard and in this recording you really do get a lot of words there's moments for me when i don't think dawn upshaw knows what she's saying or doesn't know how to communicate that i also think that ballet dancer needs to be back in her dressing room but that's that's a video that's thing. neither that, here nor there George. that's neither here nor there <laughs> for me we're going to tally this all up this is a 96.7 Oh. Okay, I'm
3: pacing. You, I'm pacing. You want the, you breakdown know, the coach for us? just came over and gave, and us, gave me a Where little did she lose rub. points?
1: Well, she lost points on some of the words. You know, I didn't get every single word. And, and the expectation for me, when you're listening to, if you're an English native English speaker and you're listening to an opera aria sung in English, you expect to get every word. I'm not saying that's fair. I'm not even saying that's possible, but that is your expectation. And I didn't get that here. Uh, well, it wouldn't again, be so
3: Olympics gymnastics judging if there weren't some shenanigans. Ninety-six point
1: seven. This bar has been set very high. Next up, then we are going over to Ashley Hartgrave,
5: and we're going to talk about a piece that is as American as apple pie, capitalism, the wealth <laughs> gap, and non-universal health care. <laughs> Classic <laughs> <And> adultery. <laughs> We are going to talk about American composer Douglas Moore's deeply American opera, The Ballad of Baby Doe. Most (laughs) importantly, we are going to talk about the Silver Aria, which is a personal favorite of mine. My singer is a personal favorite of mine. We'll get to that in just a moment. So Douglas Moore's opera about mining magnate Horace Tabor with his second wife has some truly wonderful moments. Officially, the first wife's there, too, but she's not really the focus of the story. The (laughs) opera is not necessarily like the quintessential American opera, but the setting is quintessentially American. We've got westward migration, a mining town at the frontier, populist politics, upward economic mobility, and the openness of democratic opportunity side by side with social climbing, pretentiousness, and class distinction. If you take out the first two, you could set Baby Doe in 2021. Uh, but at any rate, <laughs> let's talk about the piece. So the Silver Aria, it comes right into play uh, before the end of the first act. So Horace has acknowledged his affair relationship with Baby Doe. He's left his first wife, Augusta, who is understandably plotting his ruin. And now Horace and Baby Doe are about to get married in Washington, D.C. Why? Because by the way, Horace Tabor is now a senator. Uh, the couple's become very wealthy uh, and that does not sit well with the housewives and some of the uh, Washington dandies that are attending this wedding. Baby Doe, in this scene, Baby Doe and Horace are mingling amongst the crowd uh, and then a lot of the Washington dandies start to debate about the silver standard, whereas a lot of these dandies say that they prefer the gold standard. Enter Baby Doe to sing the virtues of silver, how she hopes it's gonna hold that country together. It silences the dispute. It turns all eyes to her and to her husband's industry. It's a way for them to make just a little bit more money. Uh, So when it comes to this aria, I know that part of what we're talking about here are vocal fireworks, but sometimes, Firepower isn't in explosions, but it's in finesse and control and in slow burn. Anybody can splat out, can honk out some high note attempts, but this piece in particular takes a delicacy, a gentleness in its approach, all while appearing completely effortless because all eyes are on you while you're reaching for those Bs and those C sharps. Oh, and by the way, you're bouncing back and forth between 6-4 and 4-4, and there is no rhyme or reason. Good luck to you. Uh, the amount of <laughs> breath control, the amount of support, all of that that's passed, Act into those three short minutes is really, really remarkable. Uh, you don't get a ton of help from the orchestration and there's not a ton of it underneath you. So I consider it America's Aki Fuels where you it's just up to you to carry the whole piece on delicacy. Uh, and nobody represents this better uh, than Douglas Moore's very favorite, Baby Doe, and my favorite, everything, <laughs> Miss Beverly Sills, Bubbles herself. Uh, in a moment, we're going to listen to Bubbles do the last minute of this aria and we're going to get a masterclass in dynamics and in technique and in storytelling uh, i know we have categories here so let's talk about those for a second
1: verisimilitude, verisimilitude. difficulty execution interpretation
5: correct verisimilitude this is the moment in the opera where baby Doe. this sounds gross to say but kind of becomes a woman she becomes she matures this is her oh, first my. moment of stepping into her, her what is going to be her new life you know she's she's left her first husband the scandal is about to break ah there it is <laughs> uh but She's now realizing and understanding what this new role is as the wife of someone who is wealthy and the support that she's going to have to really assume as a senator's wife. So this is her maturation into that character. Uh, so, again, verisimilitude this is that shining moment when she becomes who she's going to be for the rest of the show and all of act two. Uh, difficulty. Again, this is what I call the quiet storm. This isn't about fireworks. This is about managing control. This is about being able to flip really quickly on some 16th notes and make everything sound absolutely effortless. This isn't about look what I can do. It's about look what I can do. It's reserved. It's <laughs> pulled back. In uh, execution. This is Beverly Sills. Douglas Moore himself <laughs> said that Beverly Sills was his favorite baby doe. So in terms of execution, quite literally, nobody does it better for my money. Interpretation. She is one of the ultimate storytellers of the middle of the 20th century when it comes to opera. Uh, every time that she sings, you hear joy in her tone. You hear joy in her voice. You hear that she legitimately cares about what it is that she's trying to do. So Mm -hmm. when we're thinking, when we're thinking George about what we need to do in this American opera competition, (laughs) what's more American, what's more American George, I ask you than a Brooklyn born soprano telling the story of a Wisconsinite woman who left her no good first husband to marry a rich second one and become a Senator's wife. All set to the score of a composer who is a veteran and fought in the first world war that is america to me and with that i give you a 1959 recording with new york city opera silver aria ballad of baby Doe," miss beverly Sales. god bless america
4: Ashley, I'm gonna have to go back in the edit and put in a little bit of fanfare for the common man underneath your little speech there.
3: (laughs) That's not by Douglas
4: Moore. Oh, that's good too. Yeah, yeah. Maybe at the same time, it's it's really dissonant (laughs) and clashing.
5: Listen. What I what I don't have in fireworks, I make up for in passion and emotion.
1: And, and that's your so that's you your point, do. Ashley, for the for the Beverly Souls recording and, and for the <laughs> choice. I, I get that. I, you are such a phenomenal coach. The sad part is is that the, for me, the coach is never on the balance beam. Sometimes firepower power isn't in explosions, finesse, control, and slow burn. For me, this is a fizzle. This really <sighs> is. I, I get I get control. I get that. I get that that's hard and I, and that deserves applause. Your patriotism deserves applause, but I don't find any, I don't see much interpretation in what? this aria. It's accurate. I get that. I don't find it passionate. And so I'm going to give this a 49.7. What? Right? <laughs> Sorry. Nope. I got my numbers backwards. It's a 94.7. Okay,
3: okay, okay. Don Don Upshaw's breathing a sigh of relief, I gotta tell you.
2: <laughs> this, listen, I mean, listen. This, if
5: I, I stand by this pick because if I don't believe in Beverly Sills, the terrorists win. <laughs> <laughs> but this wants- is
2: actually what happens, I think, in the Olympics. It's like you have like whatever, 10 judges, and there's that one jerk from England. <laughs> it's always the England who's, yeah, judge. Who's like, yeah, I don't rough. get it. It's like artistic smartistic. Like, give me some... Give me some leaps, you know, give me some twirls, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's tough. (laughs) Tough but fair. Over to Oliver Camacho.
2: So the assignment for this uh, color tour competition was to bring a showpiece to the table. You know, I came to uh, a gunfight with a gun or a knife fight with a knife. I don't know. I don't know my (laughs) metaphors at all, but like...
5: I brought You're just the right naming weapons. Just naming weapons. <laughs> he I came brought with the a right... bow and arrow,
3: and damn, he's going to use it. <laughs> Quod erat demonstratum.
2: I brought the right weapon to this fight, um, and the right artist to carry that weapon. <laughs> okay, we're talking Great. about awesome Candide. We're talking about Natalie Des- to say singing glitter and that's that's be nice. gay. So we all know this aria. Um, this is. Uh, Cunagonda's reintroduction in the show. We think that she's dead, but actually she's been living in Paris and she has that age old dilemma of, um, choosing a life of, uh, materialism or a life of love. Um, if, if she's not with, uh, what's his name? Candide. Um, the titular and so, Candide. Yeah. <laughs> <the titular>. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, here we meet. We re-meet Cunagonda and this is a showpiece and it's hilarious. And uh, the music serves this character so well. It's um, flirtatious, it's frivolous, uh, it's melodramatic, it's youthful, and uh, it's just a joy to hear it. It's a real crowd pleaser. And it really, I mean, not that Candide is a, a sad show or like a show you get bored in, but when this aria happens in a ready, A show that's full of fun numbers and great music. This is like, it just stops the show and everybody wants to see is the soprano going to sing a good high E flat? You know, it's true. Which speaking of speaking of (laughs) E flat, yeah, there are three speaking of E flats. Uh, there are high notes galore in this, namely three high E flats above high C, plenty of staccati passage work, plenty of fast passage work, uh, a scale. Down from, I forget what note uh, that goes down to the chest voice and then lands in a trill. Um, there is spoken melodrama, which none of your arias have to do. So here the <laughs> singer's also challenged to speak on stage. And sometimes you get like a Sumi Joe or like an Eita Goburova, whose first language isn't English. So it's doubly hard. For sometimes I want to
3: pluck out my eyebrows during that part. Just, <laughs> like so awful, I have to say. <laughs> Um,
2: so we've already addressed verisimilitude and difficulty. We're talking about Natalie Desai in 1997 in the Glyndebourne centenary concert uh, where she was at the just at the beginning of her stardom and where she was the soprano that everybody wanted to hire. And she was gamin and she's always been a great actress. But in 1997, her voice was in on form, like clean, tight. None of the stuff that we see later on her career where the high notes get a little bit wobbly and where uh, the center of the pitch is not always clear, you know, this is like just pristine. She could do everything with her voice and the high notes are obviously going to be in tune and she can attack them soft. She can attack them loud. She can do guttural attacks. She can float like it's magnificent. Uh, Her interpretation. So here's her disadvantage. In this performance, uh, it's a concert. So she has to br- make everybody believe that this is happening and she can. Mm. That's even- a
1: very fair point, Oliver. This is fr- recording is from a concert.
2: Even in whatever she's wearing, like this pantsuit type of outfit, without having to put the jewelry on and having all the props and whatnot, she is working this audience. She's, she's doing everything with her face and with her gestures. It's a masterclass of acting. Uh, And she does the melodrama with her heavy Westphalian accent. (laughs) Sure, Um, she sings that uh, final high C coming off of the E flat. Like she starts it with a guttural attack. It sounds very uh, risky, you know. But this was 1997, and she was willing to do that stuff to her voice, which was dangerous. But it's really exciting. (laughs) Uh, She holds she holds the high E flat at the end forever, and then she sings a gliss up to a high B flat above high C, which is not in the score, but she does it because back in 1997, she could. So it's execution interpretation all in one. It's incredible. And like, I just, I have to say, like, I'm a huge fan of Natalie to say, I'm not a fan of the stuff that she has done in the last maybe 10 years, but in 1997, like she had me in the palm of her hands and the audience goes wild in this and i just want i mean let's let's hear it now
3: I have to say, Oliver, usually the danger with opera singers singing this aria song is that they go too far. And you just, like, lose the comedy, and you lose the the kind of balance of being able to switch back and forth. Which, this was originally premiered with Barbara Cook, who was, like, Broadway ingenue par excellence. Just, like, absolutely nails those high notes, even though I don't know if she ever really trained as an opera singer. Like, she... She pulls it off really well and sets a high bar. I have to say, like, very few people clear it. Natalie to say is one of them that even if, you know, maybe she there's a toe that touches that bar, like, she definitely gets over it. <laughs> <laughs> it's always
2: on the border of being camp with opera singers doing this, you know? Um, I just, want. I one day want to do the melodrama myself. I just feel like we should all get a chance to... P-
3: and ruby rings.
2: Oh, how can worldly things take? I say the that to, to myself every day in the mirror when I wake lost.
1: up. I mean, it's absolutely true. I, I, I just, I love this character. You know, when I think self-obsession, artistic flamboyance, when I think emotional histrionics and a voice in the stratosphere, of course, I think of Oliver Camacho. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I also, I also think of Kuna Gonda. Uh, Natalie Desai, is a she's an actor before anything else. Look, mm. opera singers are three things: they're singers, they're actors, and they're athletes. And Natalie Dessay has all those things. Like, they, she is on full tank all the time. It is this acting is so sometimes sick. exhaustingly so. <laughs> sometimes <laughs> exhaustingly so. Yeah. This music. It is syncopated where you don't want it to be syncopated. The leaps are where you don't want the leaps. Do you need props? Hell no, Natalie Dessay doesn't need any props. For me, this is such a great recording. This, for me, is a 96.3.
3: Ooh. what Ooh. holding out I'm holding I'm
1: steady, holding steady. Oh, goodness. Three, oh, within a God, these British judges oh.
2: oh boy where did, breath. Breath. where did she lose points where did she lose points I don't even understand
1: for me it there's there's some moments when it rings false to me it, it it just goes over that line a little bit which surprises me about Natalie to say usually truth is her calling card plus the concert rendition for me I think, that was a bit of a millstone around the neck. Is that mm. this is a different? This is a different way to perform. This is a different arena in concert versus in a fully. She didn't have any ballerina cont- to uh, contend with. Also, I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Cummings still the herself. lead, ninety-six point seven. We have one oh more person, Weston Williams. Over to you.
4: The final challenger enters the ring. Well, my selection <laughs> is my favorite aria from Nixon in China. Uh, I am the wife of Mao Tse-tung. Friend of the is... show. I am the wife of Mao Tse-tung. <laughs> <laughs> Friend of the show. Uh, I, I I will also say I know this isn't technically a category, but if we're doing American color Torah uh pieces, li- there's literally an American president right there in the title. So <laughs> that and the uh, and the uh, uh, little Abraham Lincoln I slid to you earlier, George, I think should help you make that decision. Um. So anyway. Nixon in China is an interesting opera for another of reasons, musically and dramatically. Musically, it's the first notable opera to em- embrace a post-minimalist style, which uses conventions and minimalisms, but doesn't really get bogged down in like the avant-gardeism of the late 20th century. Um, and, uh, and I think that's a definitely a point in its favor among this group, because you all picked pieces written in the 50s. And uh, I decided to take something a little bit more recent. This is, uh, I think, 87. I could be wrong about that. uh, In the 80s, certainly. Um, And dramatically, this opera uh, really moves at a reasonable pace, which you can't really say about some of these selections and, indeed, coloratura in general. Um, Oh, man, you throw in shade
1: in the locker room? Oh,
6: just
4: a little bit, just a little bit. Um, but I think my, the strength for, uh, for this piece is the characterizations of each role. Everyone is very lived in, um, uh, Nixon, you know, um, um, Mao Tse Tung's, uh, wife Changqing, uh, and, uh, you know, and, and, and the, the real life chang had a very, very powerful personality as well. She was instrumental in creating the note, the idea of Mao Tse Tung, uh, as, uh, as a sort of a, a beyond just a mere ruler Uh, she helped create the cult of personality from scratch which is something that I think people uh, forget she was a, a, a as far as we know Again, this is a lot of filtering a lot through like, you know, Western propaganda here. But as far as we know, she was very politically opportunistic, uh, a very powerful figure behind the scenes and often in front of the scenes as well through her connection to her husband.
1: All right. Um, Get me to the music. So let's get to this performance.
4: Well, that's why this uh, this music is so good. Um, so this is, um, this is, uh, the, the, the text setting of this opera is just mm, the versimilitude, simi- ver- George, the versimilitude, hard thing to say. You well. got to say it
1: right if you want to pat <laughs> yeah. on the back. Oh,
4: good Lord. It really, it really captures the idea of this absolute powerhouse of a person basically preaching at the top of her lungs, holding up this red book of Mao's, um, speaking, uh, at like sometimes as an avatar of him, sometimes, uh, supplanting him. Uh, there's a really cool line, uh, which I absolutely love the line in this aria that I love so much. When I appear, the people hang upon my words, but the way the music is set has that little minimalist, uh, repetition, but it repeats in a very unusual way. So the first time you hear it, you, you see, you hear when I appear, the people hang. And it's that energy <laughs> that is captured so well by Kathleen Kim in this production from the Met. I remember I saw this live in HD and this is, I think, maybe the only time I, after this aria was over, I clapped uh, in the movie theater, which is very embarrassing. I don't you usually pulled do a that. Boomer. Uh, <laughs> 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 Me, this young, the young, the young hip boy here, I, I, I applauded. It. it was amazing. Now, in terms of you know difficulty, this is this is a very very difficult aria. It doesn't necessarily, for me, hit all of the same sort of checklist of what you expect from a coloratura a aria. It doesn't have like a million notes a minute, but it has some insane leaps. Really weird intervals. It's extremely, extremely exposed. It has to be super duper, duper, duper precise. I think Kathleen Kim um, does it with more energy and ferocity than, you know, any other interpretation I've heard of this piece. Uh, Sometimes she struggles a little bit with some of the diction, which, you know, is difficult when in that extremely high register on those high notes, especially those repeated high notes uh, on certain vowels can be a little bit difficult. But there is nothing in, in the entire opera canon that I think of more immediately when I hear the term vocal fireworks. And really, if you watch the entire clip, you'll just see like on YouTube, you can find it on YouTube. Um, it, it just, the chaos that it breaks the opera, it breaks the reality of the opera. It breaks the reality of the the ballet. Speaking of ballet dancers on stage, George, this is when she interrupts the, uh, agitprop ballet in the middle um it 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 breaks it, it breaks the opera so hard the curtain has to come down because that's the only way to stop Kathleen Kim as the wife of Mao Tse-tung let's just hear a little bit of the end of it cuz oh man those high notes
2: Unlucky. I don't envy anybody uh-huh. who the tries to sing. And and speaking of Matt, what do you think about bringing this to competitions? Like for people are doing it now. People are using this aria. In uh,
3: I, I mean, like it's another. It's like good luck. You miss yeah. a beat, <laughs> you're done. You're yeah. you will never ever ever find each other. <laughs> I mean, it's not like
4: Stravinsky either, where like Stravinsky, if you like, you know, miss a note or like a timing, like. It sounds just as weird, you know, but it's so exposed. It's so tonal. It's it so would be minimalist. really
3: obvious if it were You wrong. would absolutely know. <laughs> yeah. And,
4: I, and I, I would say like, you know, a lot of the, you know, other recordings of this opera, even like studio recordings, kind of disappoint. Okay, let's be
2: clear. There's arts. only one studio recording this opera. There's, uh, well, that's there's there's true. One, the other one's there's live.
4: One live that's right. Yeah, You're so. right. The Mar and I'll Sup is the live one. But a lot of times when you hear this, you'll get to those last couple of high notes and you'll us be disappointed because even if they've been nailing it up to that point, Maintaining that intensity is incredibly difficult to do.
2: It's a stamina thing for sure. And mm-hmm. like it's a throat buster. I don't know how anybody sings that thing. It's grassy. It is.
1: It is. This music is fiendishly difficult. Just like uh, No Word From Tom is this neo-classicist style. This aria um, from um, John Adams really sort of makes me think of like quasi-baroque. It's the same text repeated over and over mm. in large parts. But it has to be given Utter specificity and interpretation. I think that Kath and Kim is absolutely successful with that. <laughs> I can get like ninety nine percent of the words on here, and I'm be- and I'm being picky. Um, I think the diction is great. I think the interpretation is just spot on for such a hard aria. I totted this up with my numbers. This for me was a ninety six point eight. <sighs> and so by point <laughs> one. I picked I and the wife of Mao Tse Tung. God was bless it the ballerina America, George. Everyone.
3: Was it the ballerina <laughs> that lost Don? Wow, gold it was
2: medal? it was I think was this is reverse bad, racism. Yeah. I think that George is worried about being called <laughs> out for being anti Asian <laughs> with his uh Ku Klux Klan flag behind him.
1: <laughs> so we are celebrating our Independence Day. Oh my god. By celebrating non white voices. <laughs> is yeah, that what you're I love saying, that.
4: Oliver. I support that, George.
1: What could be yeah, more American than Tongue,
4: that?
5: Yeah. Well, and, as, and as Cam- the Cam- person Cam- who's going to be serving the uh, as the alternate to the American team, I just want you to know that it's just been an honor to compete and serve <laughs> my country. And
6: from the mountains to the
5: prairies, God bless America. My home, sweet home.
1: <laughs> well, once again... Uh, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Stitcher. You can also just favorite the show on Apple Podcasts if you haven't done that already and you are one of our podcast listeners. A uh, couple minutes sports talk before we get into the two-minute drill.
2: There's always a chance that Weston could be Nancy Kerrigan, so you'll still have oh. a
5: chance. <laughs> Was not prepared for Ouch. that twist. Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> uh,
1: well, look, uh, Matt Cummings has always been on Olympic walks, uh, watch recently. Ashley, now you're getting into the Olympics.
5: I am so excited. I am in full Olympics mode. Anytime I have a spare moment, I'm looking at like the new things that are happening and what the new developments are. Uh, there's already been a case of uh, COVID in some Olympians. Uh, somebody from the Ugandan team actually tested positive. They are currently being quarantined with their team. They're not in the Olympic village, however. Uh, but most importantly, I looked up the, uh, the program order and the proposal for what they're going to be doing for the opening ceremony. As you know, Tokyo uh, hosted the Olympics in 64. They considered it completely country changing. So there's going to be some throwbacks to what happened in 1964 to what's happening in 2020, not 2021. But yes, that's all you're going to hear from me in the next like month and a half is just Olympics talk.
1: Two years after those Olympics in 1966, England beat West Germany in the World Cup <laughs> final at Wembley Stadium.
3: Here we are.
1: You know, I'll say this. Germany has had our English number for years. Uh, Italia 90, we lost to Germany in the semifinals. Euro 96, Gareth Southgate misses the critical penalty against Germany. I was there. That's where this jersey is from. This is from Euro 96. This is for the three lines. Come on, England. Two-minute drill. It's right now. This
0: just in, the two-minute drill. All
1: right, listen up. Here's everything you need to know about what happened in Opera Land this week.
2: The South African Embassy is asking French authorities for an explanation for the purported ill treatment of soprano pretty Yende. Yende was detained at the Charles de Gaulle International Airport, alleging she did not have proper documents to enter the country. Yende took to social media to report the incident, suggesting she had been singled out because she is black. Police brutality is real for someone who looks like me, Yende wrote on Facebook adding that she
3: feared for her life. Stephanie Blythe is guaranteed to be catching flowers this fall when her alter ego makes an unprecedented role debut as Don Jose in Carmen. The company's 2021-2022 season also includes the Chicago premiere of Marc Adamo's Becoming Santa Claus, that's Chicago Opera Theater, the world premiere of composer Wallen and. Librettist Deborah Breivort's Quiminos Map, and The Beekeeper, which was written by the Vanguard Training Program composer Wang Lu and librettist, librettist Kelly Rourke.
4: The International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, or IATSE, is taking the fight against the Met Opera lockout online with a virtual picket line. Said an IATSE representative, If bosses like Met General Manager Peter Gelb are going to use an unprecedented pandemic as an excuse to reach into workers' pockets and undercut their livelihood, we will respond with equally unprecedented and innovative digital tactics.
5: A winner has been crowned in the 39th International Hans-Gabor Belvedere Singing Competition, a contest named after the founder of the Vienna Chamber Opera. Congratulations to Canadian tenor Josh Lovell, ensemble member at the Vienna State Opera and an alum of the Ryan Opera Center, making him a hometown hero for us. Friend of the show Elena Violon won second prize in the opera category as well as the Audience Prize and Rising Star
1: Prize. In trade news, Opera Nice has announced that Daniele Caligari will be the company's new music director, taking over for Giorgi Rat. Caligari was the principal conductor of the Wexford Festival between 1998-2001 and the Orchestra Philharmonique Royale de Flandre between 2002-2008.
2: Los Angeles' experimental opera company, The Industry, has added two new artistic directors to its roster to serve alongside my boyfriend Yuval Sharon. Composer <laughs> Ash Fury... Furet and multidisciplinary artist Malik Gaines, or Malik Gaines will share co-equal responsibilities with Sharon and will each produce one small and one large project during their tenure.
3: Irish composer Connor Mitchell and the Belfast Ensemble plan to stage an opera about the Harvey Weinstein scandal. The focus of the work will be the women who accused Weinstein, reformatting their testimony from last year's criminal trial in the opera's libretto, with no representation of Weinstein himself.
4: Return of the Red Card, dun dun dun! The New Zealand opera has canceled its run of Mozart's Le Nozze di Figaro due to new COVID-19 restrictions.
5: And on this day, June 28th, in 1828, it was the first performance of Nicola Vaccai's Osmier e Nazario in Madrid. 1871, it was the birth of Italian soprano Luisa Tetrazzini. On this day in 1902, American musical theater composer Richard Rogers was born. 1946 brought us the birth of American composer Robert Xavier Rodriguez. And happy birthday on this day in 1955 to, the, to American baritone. Thomas Hampson. Happy BD, Tommy H.
1: (laughs) That's your two-minute trail.
3: So we cannot talk about coloratura fireworks on Luisa Tetrazzini's
6: birthday
3: (laughs) without including an excerpt from a time when entire operas were nothing more than an excuse for fireworks. Uh, No conductor alive would allow a cadenza like that in in a performance (laughs) today. But when we do invent our opera box score time machine, that is one voice that I'm dying to know what she really sounded like because you can only hear so much through the recording technology of the time. And for those of you wondering out there, she is the namesake of Tuna Tetrazzini. Turkey I was t- wondering. Turkey I, t-
4: I was going to make a joke, or I thought it might be insensitive, but I'm no, so it's glad really, I it's was literally. It's named named delicious. Her. Are you kidding me? <laughs> it's so it's... good. I love tetrazzini. I would eat that every day. Oh, man, if, if I'd had access to tetrazzini at the beginning of the pandemic, I would not be able to fit in this closet right now.
1: Well, we uh. also all love uh, Soprano pretty yende, but. What the
4: hell is this? Just absolutely brutal. Like for those of you who don't know, if you if you uh, if you read the articles, apparently she was uh she arrived in France and was detained, but not just detained, like taken to a dark room in a basement, uh strip searched, patted down. Okay.
2: So the strip search I think was an exaggeration. I think they made her take off her shoes.
4: Well, yeah, there there's some like waffling about that, but like, you know, it's, at least the the pat down definitely happened and um she apparently did not feel safe apparently the officials were not very nice um and uh you, you know it, it's this isn't the first time she's been to to france you know <laughs> this isn't the first time she's been in the country she's been out of uh, out of you know uh, south africa this is the kind of thing that's it, it's it's in, in some ways it's it's an opportunity you know to to remind ourselves that this kind of behavior can happen to anyone, including sup- superstars. Well, I mean, relatively, of course, opera is still a little bit of a niche, but, you know, superstars like Pretty Yende. And uh, it, it's raised this huge uproar online, uh, justifiably so. Uh, and the French authorities just kind of repeating, oh, this is just standard procedure. We do this to, with anyone. But, you know, if that's the case, you realize that makes it worse, right?
3: Paris Opera has been notably quiet in this conversation. Mm -hmm. Like you would really I expected them to speak out and I have not seen any kind of like big statement trying to clarify the situation or pacify people who are justifiably outraged about how she was treated or really to stand up for her as someone they hired at all.
5: Yeah, that's true. I mean, and, you know, when it comes to France, we want to think of France as this very progressive place. And in a lot of ways it is. I mean, we've got Macron with his hot teacher wife. You know, there are these lovely people in a lot of ways. But this is also a place where there's a lot of systemic racism that has been built in. You know, you have these things that are happening to people like Pretty Yendi. We had all of that dust up uh last year when they were talking about whether or not Muslim women of faith would be allowed to wear garments that were attached to right. their religion and there was mm-hmm. a whole lot of uproar about that. So, I mean, as as much as we think of of other countries as bastions for racism, we have to remember it happens in France too. Yeah.
1: Oliver Camacho is going to be first in line to get these tickets for Stephanie Blythe singing uh, Don Jose.
5: Second, I'll be oh, oh, <laughs> second mean, in line. Okay.
2: So just some transparency here we're in chicago even though we're on the dallas network if you haven't figured out george is not in england i'm not in some amazing library of game of thrones cds the library of yeah. alexandria
3: I-, I
4: am actually in my <laughs> no. closet but that's uh that's beside the point so
2: we're in chicago and we have watched the transformation of chicago opera theater since lydia and has taken over and you know the COVID season was uh a lot of adventurous work and It's hard to really draw conclusions about where a company is going with anybody's COVID seasons, but um, they're not shying away from doing things that are very cutting edge and adventurous. And the one time they do like an audience type of, oh, we know this opera, crowd pleasing type of thing. It's completely subversive. It's Jamie Barton making her role debut as Carmen. uh, Opposite. Stephanie Blythe in drag uh, what's her name in drag again uh, Lively Oratonio
5: yeah <laughs> this is so good
2: so I mean there's other things in their season that Erlin Wallen is a total composer at the moment British black female composer doing the Mark Adamo Santa Claus being Mrs. Claus whatever that thing is you know great season uh, <laughs> really interesting stuff <laughs> but this is the show that's like no f or no poop like i don't know if we're lots of anymore <laughs> yeah. but it's like you're effing kidding me you know it's like yes mind explode i'm gonna be there it's gonna be so yeah cool. we're
1: not we're not allowed to swear but i i do second your enthusiasm i'm also excited for quamino's map because that's a pokemon right
2: i don't think it is <laughs> yeah you're so have zoom doesn't allow these the jokes IOC. that happen <laughs> quickly as you think. So, you know, no, I, think the, delay, I so. think the
4: long silence after that was just due to the incomprehensibility of the joke more than the Zoom connection, Oliver. I think that was where we were yeah. having the hangout. No, hang up. no,
1: no, no, no. That's the that's, that's Stephen Colbert thing. You just deliver it, you pause, and then you, just, you look to the top, you just look the little corner of your screen while well, everyone at home is laughing.
4: If that yeah. had been the same room, there would have been crickets is what, basically what I'm saying.
1: They sure
5: are. I want to make one more point on... Something else that's going to make this production revolutionary, um, I know I didn't volunteer to talk about this, but I want to talk about this part, uh, is that both Jamie Barton and Stephanie Blythe are people that we would consider to be of extended size. So not only are mm. we gender bending, not only are we allowing these people to tell the story in this way, we are giving people of significant size who you know a handful of years ago on an operatic stage wouldn't have been considered the objects of desire or sexualized this is proving that people of extended sizes can be sexy can have romantic relationships are worthy of those sorts of affections when it comes to the narrative within the story so and that's another thing about this that i think is and a part- big deal
3: yeah and particularly for an opera like carmen which is so frequently mm. done with like On autopilot with paint by numbers sexy angry like fiery woman throwing flowers everywhere (laughs) and here are my flamenco hands that the choreographer came in to teach me one time and is this close enough and like this is not going to be that so like no
5: but barton is going to be sexy as hell mark absolutely
1: for sure uh harvey weinstein not sexy
5: Speaking of not sexy, um, what is sexy, though, is the idea of putting together this opera. Um, And I also love the fact that uh, Connor Mitchell is taking... The, t- the actual testimony from the trial, turning it into the libretto, and more importantly, he's not having any representation of the perpetrator of these actions and allegations. I'm not gonna give that guy any more ear time. Uh, so I like that this is happening. I like that he's going to tell the stories of these women who were so brave to come forward, and I love the twist that he's not actually putting in any sort of representation of that person. So, and also the fact that it's happening in Belfast, which is a place that is, you know, no stranger to, to confrontation. And scandal and Mm. the fact that he ultimately wants to bring it to you know the literal scene of the crime and stage it in New York City at some point. Good
3: call. This this opera kind of feels like a throwback to like 10 years ago when everyone was doing current events operas. Like you had the Jerry Springer opera and the Anna Nicole Smith opera. And like the parts where those operas can really work is where they subvert your expectations and your memory and like show you the flip side of something. And there's, I mean, already in the concept we're moving in that direction so like i'm interested to see like how they make how they take advantage of that opportunity
6: agreed
1: new zealand you were so close you were doing so well you're the first country to sort of survive the pandemic and now you're getting a red card from us the obs how do you feel
2: Actually, I think that they're just out of an abundance of caution, and they're going to nip it. Yeah. Like, that's why they're doing it. You know,
1: that's what I want to honestly, hear. Honestly,
4: that, that's why they were the only ones who kind of made it through unscathed. <laughs>
5: yeah, no, I mean, honestly, under Jacinda Arden's leadership, that's the reason they've gotten as far as they have. Again, as a matter of, of fact, I would like
4: caution. to, I would like to put the red card back in the gra- ground and just pull out a green card for this one.
5: <laughs> just a heart, just a, it's we love a little you heart. Jacinda Arden. A we love heart. you, New Zealand.
1: All right, let's wrap this show up. Good call. Bad Call
0: on Opera Box Score.
1: Good call, bad call, the way we always take it home. Let's go top down, Oliver Camacho.
2: So today's the first day of Wimbledon, also known as the place where I will get married one day. Uh, <laughs> and the first round heartbreaker, my Greek god, Stefanos Tsitsipas, the fourth ranked player in the world, the number three seed, lost in straight sets, oh. to American Francis Tiafoe. I mean, if you're going to lose... It might as well be to an American. Americans are very good on grass, but uh, just just made. <laughs> what does that mean, Oliver? Americans, their game usually is really good for grass because grass is a very fast surface. So, um, as opposed to to clay, where there's a lot more about strategy and running, Americans just hit the ball hard. So that's where, okay. Where they all do it. right, that's um, answer for that. Yeah, God bless the USA. But um, it's gonna make these next two weeks just a little bit less enjoyable to watch. Yeah.
1: Matt Cummings
3: so most days I really regret being on Twitter but today is not one of those days because some ex- there was an exchange that I just want to like frame and put on my wall between a, mommy, a Christian mommy blog called Godly Womanhood the, by the transformed <laughs> wife who wrote did you know that women couldn't be preachers if microphones weren't invented they don't have the strong powerful voices that carry like men's voices do God created men to be the preachers and friend of the show Christine Gerke's only response was her looking over her glasses with like the most quizzical (laughs) look I've ever seen on a human face and I just about burst out laughing like Framing in gold. This is the best one. Mommy blog. I hope you don't get beset by Valkyries.
1: (laughs) Weston, you don't need to say anything because your show won the uh, gymnastics pyrotechnics. Mm,
4: I'm okay with that
2: competition. Mm. Get the name right. It's the Great American Coloratura
1: Good Show call for down. bribing that
3: judge.
4: Yeah.
1: yeah, it was, except Natalie, <laughs> you not American. Yeah. <laughs> Ashley Hartgren. Uh
5: I have a bad call this week to uh, the woman who broke the first round of the Tour de France. Uh, if you guys remember, the, the woman who had the sign that said Ale Opi Omi, she's the one who put the sign up and then caused the huge crash. If you haven't seen the video, I just put in Tour de France crash, you'll get it. It's um, unreal. She's, She is allegedly missing and has fled the country because the Tour de France is planning to sue her. So bad call for, you know, causing a wreck. Bad call for fleeing the country. Good luck to you. Uh,
1: I guess we should put that on the um, tackle box page of the website. upperboxword.com is where we put our sports uh, clips. Uh, If you're watching this on TDO, if you're just listening to the podcast, I just want you to put your hands in in front of you. Spirit of life. I know that I'm not a perfect person, but I think it's time that England beat Germany on Tuesday morning. Help me to help my team. Shalom, salam, and amen. That's it for this week's edition of America's Talk Radio Show about opera. Our announcer's Norm Waddell. He's at normwaddell.com. On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. On Twitter and Instagram, we're at Opera Box Score. Help us deepen that bench of listeners by liking and sharing our social media posts. Email us your hot takes, Opera at gmail.com. And of course, subscribe to the podcast on Stitcher or just favorite the show on Opera Podcasts. The views and opinions expressed on Opera Box Score are solely those of the show's creative team. Any rebroadcast, reproduction, or other use of the accounts of this show without the express written consent of Opera Box Score is un American. But if you invite me to your 4th of July barbecue, I'll let it slide. Our creative consultant is Oliver Camacho. Our audio and video editor is Weston Williams. For your co-hosts, Matt Cummings and Ashley Hardgrave, I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera so you try not to blow off your fingers. We're back with an all-new show next week when we use opera to pick the winners of the remaining Euro 2020 fixtures, plus you get more headlines, more hot takes, more legal fireworks, and maybe more prayers for England. I certainly hope not. Join us.